Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shkolova Said. I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with um, Mateusz Svetlitsky about his book, Next Generation Memory and Ukrainian Canadian Children's Historical Fiction The Seeds of Memory, published by Routledge in 2023. Dr. Mateusz Wietlitski is director of the Center for Young People's Literature and Culture and assistant professor at the Institute of English Studies Department of American Literature and Culture, University of Wroclaw. He is a co-founding member of the Center for Research on Children's and Young Adult Literature, Faculty of Letters, University of Wroclaw. He has held multiple fellowships, including once at the University of Florida's Department of English and the University of Illinois at, at Chicago. Dr. Svetlitsky specializes in North American and Ukrainian children's and young adult literature and culture, memory, gender, and queer studies, as well as popular culture and film. Hello, Mateusz, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, thank you, Natalia, for inviting me. It's a great pleasure and a great honor to be here with you. Well, congratulations on this uh, publication. Uh, it's an important work, which I'm sure will make a major contribution to memory studies, not only uh, in terms of Ukrainian context, but in terms of the international context as well. In the introduction, you mentioned that this book is very personal. Uh, would you talk a little bit about the background of this publication? Thank you for the congratulations. Uh, uh, yes. Uh... This book is very personal. Uh, it's me on the cover, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's me on the cover of the book, uh, and this picture was taken by my grandmother at uh, a uh, local graveyard, which used to be a German graveyard. Now it's Polish, and it's the place where my Ukrainian grandfather is buried. Uh, so the seeds of memory you know, can be understood literally here, you know, in the context uh, of the of this book's uh, cover, but the metaphorical seeds of memory are the memories which um, my grandmother left me. So all of these stories, you know, my, my family stories, my my Polish uh, um, stories, my Ukrainian stories, uh, stories about the Second World War, stories about uh, my family's um, migrations, you know, migrations from Ukraine to Poland, from, uh, from Poland to North America. So all of these... Uh, Seeds of memory uh, um, shaped me as a person, as a scholar, uh, as an individual. And because of these seeds of memory, which my grandmother 
uh, my late grandmother um, left me, I became interested, you know, in in uh, um, in, in different things and in, in, uh, in things connected to history, connected to memory, connected to my own heritage. Um, so um, that's why this book is very personal. Of course, it's not about me. It's not. <laughs> it's not it's, uh, of course, it's not a memoir <laughs> whatsoever. It's uh, it's a scholarly book. It's a book about, um, as you've said, Ukrainian Canadian children's historical fiction, but it's very personal. It's very personal. And why seeds of memory? What does this tell us about memory and how it nuances our understanding of cultural memory? Uh, so, uh, cultural memory uh, it is like a seed, and we know that seeds um, can um, grow, you know, but we also know that in order for seeds to grow, to blossom, to um, to uh, turn into uh, flowers or plants or, or trees, they need to be cultivated. Uh, they need water, seeds need water, they need uh, the, the sun, you know, they need care. And memory, it, it's, it's quite similar when it comes to memory. So in order, um, so if we want memory to survive, if we want a cultural uh, memory to be, um, um, to become a part of young people's uh, mnemonic repertoires, we need to make sure that uh, this memory is not only planted, these metaphorical seeds of memory are, are planted, but they're also taken care of. Yeah, it's such... so I'm using lots of metaphors. I'm using yes, lots of metaphors. But it's a very neat uh, metaphor. Memory is like a seed. And yes, indeed, well, it can either blossom or it can be neglected and then yes. nothing will come out of it. So, and uh, what, what would be the best way to describe what literature you focus um, on in your uh, project? Uh, well, as the title mentions Canadian literature and uh, Ukrainian topics, but could we somehow narrow down this very yes. uh, wide range of um, possible themes? Yes. So uh, um, in my book, I study 41 texts published between 1991 and 2021. So uh and of course, 1991 is an important date. Yeah, it's uh, it's important when it comes to um, Ukraine's um, history. I'm talking about Ukraine's independence, of course. In 2021, it's right before um, it's right before the war, um, so, and also you know 30 years of Ukraine's independence. Uh, so it's it's symbolical. Um, um, well, I, when I started looking for these texts, um, I came up with uh, certain criteria and I got there more than 60 books, which were either uh, written by um, Canadian authors of uh, Ukrainian heritage or uh, books about Ukraine, books about Ukrainians. And then I uh, I read them all, and I uh, um, I decided to focus only on those which can be classified as historical fiction. And by historical fiction, I mean books which are about history. But uh, but some of these texts uh, are picture books, so 
multimodal narratives. Uh, there is a graphic novel. There are short stories, and uh, but but mostly uh, novels, middle grade uh, novels, and and also some uh, young adult novels. Mm -hmm. And books which were originally published in English. Uh, I also identified texts about Ukraine, um, texts for young people about Ukraine or Ukrainians published in Canada, but written by American authors or non-Canadian authors. So I identified them, but I did not uh, include them in my corpus. I also found a few uh, books uh, published in French, uh, but um, I, I, as I've said, I focused only on Anglophone uh, literature, but I, I did find a few books written in uh, French, so French-Canadian books, which, uh, of course, deserve to be studied separately. Uh, I may, uh, I, I do mention some of them briefly in the, in the end notes, uh, and, and they're listed uh, as, uh, in the uh, appendix. I, I do mention them, but I did not analyze them. They're not part of my corpus. Yeah, and you also specifically focus on uh, books for children and adult, yes. uh, adult reader, um, young adult readers. Young adults. And in your um, theoretical part, you also um, um, problematize this kind of connection between how historical uh, novels can shape uh, identity. Uh, and the specific emphasis is on, of course, children, because that's how children will probably uh, first start developing their understanding, not only of themselves, but of the um, environment as well. So would you um, talk a little bit about your theoretical approach, why you focus on historical novels with some specific emphasis on children and um, young adult readers? Mm -hmm. uh, no, that's a very difficult question. Uh, I'll, I'll try to answer it. Uh, I'll try to answer it as uh, as as I can. Uh, but before I do, there are a few things which I want to say. Uh, so, and but I will return to the theoretical part. No worries. Uh, so while um, reading some of these books, which I found, I realized that many books written by non Ukrainian authors, uh, books written by authors who have absolutely no links to Ukraine, but who, um, um, but authors who have published a lot about, let's say, the Second World War. Um, most of these books uh, depict Ukrainians and Eastern Europe in general, but Ukrainians in particular, in a very stereotypical way. Uh, so, uh, in, in many, and I will not name any of these books. I do name some of them in my book, but I won't know promotion when it comes to terrible literature. <laughs> in, in some of these books, Ukrainian characters are not real characters. They're not, by, by real, I mean, they're not full characters. They're just oil characters. And, and these characters are uh, just living stereotypes, let's say. You know, the, the terrible stereotype of Ukrainians as Nazi collaborators, um, Ukrainians as those who participated in um, in pogroms and nothing else, you know. So, a very stereotypical way, um, the, the, the depiction. So, and then I, um, I I started looking for other representations of Ukraine and I am and, and Ukrainians and I started think and I started thinking about um, um, 
about these negative depictions and the consequences, you know, such negative uh, depictions uh, may have on young readers. And we're talking about young readers in North America, in Canada, in the U.S., young readers who know little about, you know, our part of the world. So they know little about Ukraine, they know little about Poland, they know little about what Timothy Snyder termed the bloodlands, you know, they uh, know little about the Second World War. So for such a reader, uh, a popular book uh, recommended by a local librarian or recommended by, you know, a teacher who also may not know better, may be the first and only encounter with uh, the Second World War with Ukraine, you know? And I started thinking about the consequences of, of such books. So what if that's the only book such a reader um, comes a- across, you know, in their life? And because it, it is possible, yeah. Um, and then I um, I found other books, fantastic books by authors like Marsha Forjus Gripek or uh, or uh, Amanda McCrina, who's not Canadian, she's American. Uh, and and I started thinking about the about the importance of such books, such counter um, narratives, let's say, let's call them like counter narratives, books providing um, young people with uh, different approaches, introducing young people to previously repressed, you know, um, um, memories, histories. Um, and, and then I started reading more about, uh, about historical fiction per se. And I know that historical fiction is not very, very popular with children, according to some scholars, whom uh, I do mention in my book. <laughs> but then I started reading reviews, online reviews, um, posted by children. And I realized that some of these books are very popular with children, that authors like Marcia Burchett's Griffith uh, are so popular with regular readers, with everyday readers, readers in North America who know nothing about, as I've said, Ukraine. And I started thinking about the uh, place of such literature, you know, in 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 demonic discourses, in uh, in literary studies, uh, in, in in literature, in, in and in culture. Um, and that was the moment when I realized that okay. I, I may have enough material say, to really write something powerful and something important. And then, of course, uh, I came across other fantastic books about different topics, uh, about um, uh, because there's only one chapter about, uh, about the Second World War in my book, but I do mention it in, in other chapters briefly. Um, Probably one of the, if not the most important chapter in my book is the one about uh, the Voldemort. It's the fourth chapter in which I write about uh, North American books about the Great Famine. Um, and until very recently, uh, there were practically no books. I'm talking about mainstream, of course, books uh, for young readers uh, published in North America. Most of them were either self-published or published by uh independent publisher, which means no promotion, uh, no publicity, no reviews uh, in mainstream press, but it has started to change. Yeah. So in, uh, in um, thinking about, mm, thinking about theory, because I know that your question was about theory and I started 
talking about something else, but that's how my brain works. I always have 25 different thoughts at the same time, but in my head, everything makes sense. I hope that it more or less makes sense when I'm saying it out loud. But you answered the question. Yeah. So I was really, I was really, um, I was really inspired by uh, Anastasia Lonovich's uh, book, Second Generation Memory. Uh, she is uh, an American, a Ukrainian American scholar um, based um, uh, in Florida, at the University of Florida. Um, and um, her book is not about Ukraine. It's not about Ukrainian children's literature, even though she has published about Ukraine and Ukrainian children's literature. Uh, but the theory she used and the concept of second generation memory book um, really inspired me. And of course, uh, I've been inspired by scholars like uh, Marion Hirsch, uh, of course, Michael Rothberg and his uh, uh, thought provoking um, books about multi-directional memory and uh, implicated subjects. Um, also, I've been um, I've been really inspired by uh, Canadian and Ukrainian Canadian historians uh, who have uh, been trying to introduce um, or maybe not introduce popularize if that's the right word to use. Uh, many important and difficult uh, events from Ukraine's and Canada's history to the Canadian demotic mainstream. So I'm talking about the internment, the First World War internment. I'm talking about the ever-mentioned Holdemore, the Second World War. Um, and I've, um, uh, while working out this book, um, I knew that I was writing it for North American, I my Maybe not North American, but Anglophone mainstream readers, uh, people specializing in children's literature, students of children's literature, and I wanted to make sure that all of the sources which uh, which I uh, which I was using were approachable. And there are many sources, um, many Anglophone sources in my book, but I also wanted to make sure to to use uh, sources written in other languages, uh, in, in Ukrainian, in, in Polish. There are some sources uh, written in. Uh, by I'm mistaken in German and French, so I wanted to um, uh, to use as many uh, sources as possible. And also, uh, I'm, I'm writing about historical fiction, and the word historical is crucial in here. So it was also my task um, uh, to um, introduce my implied readers to history. Um, so I really to make sure that my short historical introductions were historically accurate. Mm -hmm. Hence, all of these references to, to Snyder, Applebaum, um, and other historians, mm -hmm. including Polish and, and Ukrainian historians. Yeah. So memory studies, uh, history, uh, and children's literature uh, studies, and, and many other things. Yeah, well, but at the same time, there are a lot of references to culture. Uh, and um, yes. uh, of course, well, we cannot talk about all um, 41 uh, novels that you analyzed for your project. Yes. But uh, maybe we could focus a little bit on some specific examples of, for instance, those stereotypes about Ukrainians that um, uh, you somehow um, um, uh, you somehow chose to focus while uh, completing this uh, um, this project. Uh, there are a lot of uh, sections in which you 
um, pay attention to, for instance, Ukrainian food or, for instance, Ukrainian um, family relations, if we can even uh, put it yes. this way. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of those examples that, for, for some reason, triggered your interest and you are decided to analyze them while working on this on this book. Um, so you're probably referring to chapter number three, which is called uh, Canadian Pisanki and the Survival of the Seats of Memory, <laughs> because it's the chapter in which I, 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 I refer to Easter eggs in the title, and it's uh, and this chapter is about uh, motherhood and uh, in um, and also about food. And, and and you're absolutely right. I I, I refer to um, to first different um, ways in which national identity uh, can be performed and is performed by some of the characters in these books. And, um, and of course, their authors refer to um, customs and traditions which are important and which may be identified by readers or members of the Ukrainian diaspora, but some of these, um, some of these so customs, traditions, dishes may also be um, uh, may also be mm, recognized, let's say, by mainstream readers because they're in, they're they're part of Canadian history. I mean, culture. You know, Canadian multicultural. Um, society, but also there are certain traditions, there are certain um, dishes, there are certain um, cultural um, elements which uh, most readers may come across for the first time, which means that these authors uh, can introduce mainstream readers not only to, not only to, to the Ukrainian history, but also Ukrainian culture. It was very complicated what I've said. <laughs> I lost my thought, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, and um, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that um, it was quite important for you to be, uh, of course, uh, accurate in terms of history. And for this reason, yes. you uh, mentioned um, Snyder and Applebaum and Plohi as well. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm wondering what kind of political history do these books that you analyzed construct? Because, well, after 2022, well, unfortunately, in spite of the fact that Ukraine uh, was independent for more than 30 years uh, by the time when the full, uh, Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine uh, took place, I wouldn't say that um, in some popular collective memory, if I can even put it this way, international, right, in terms of the international um, understanding, uh, Ukraine was quite visible and Ukraine quite, was quite well known. Um, and uh, after reading your book, I got this kind of uh, understanding that these books that you are analyzing actually help understand Ukraine as a political and cultural unit that existed actually before 1991. And that's yes. something that uh, was repeated again and again after 2022, that Ukraine is kind of a young state and uh, um, it's quite um, 
uh, is quite struggling with some uh, political uh, behavior and political representation on the international arena. So um, my question is about whether these books can somehow construct this understanding of Ukraine that actually uh, had a very, very long history before 1991. And how does it work um, in terms of these uh, historical uh, fiction books? Yes, yes. Thank you for this question. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, so, um, my, by uh, by February 2022, my book uh, is practically done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an early draft of the book um, that, that I kept on reworking it. And uh, the Russia's war, so the Russia-Ukrainian war, um, convinced me um, that introducing some changes to my book was the right thing. Uh, that's why I, I decided to refer to the to the, the, the ongoing uh, Russia-Ukrainian war in the fourth chapter and also the the, the conclusion, uh, because I think that is important. Uh, it was uh, it was the right thing to do. Uh, and, and just showing people that what's uh, what Russia's been doing, what Putin's been doing, you know, is that right? Is that historically accurate? Mm-hmm. Is outrageous? Um, and um, yeah, but returning to the books, um, yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And um, these books can introduce or have the potential to introduce young people to Ukraine's history and to show young people that Ukraine has a history, has a rich history, has a rich culture. Uh, in the first chapter, I, I write about Cossacks. Um, I write about um, different things which uh, most young people maybe not young North Americans, but most North Americans are aware of, but they don't really know that these things are Ukrainian, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in, in, um, when it comes to these books about the second world war, uh, authors like Marcia Skripik, uh, these authors, I like the fact that their Ukrainian characters are Ukrainian, that they're not Russian, they're not Polish, they're not, uh, I don't know, German, they're, they're Ukrainian and they highlight the the differences between the Ukrainian language and the Russian language and the Polish language. I think that these little things do matter. And um, you said something about popularity. Yes, uh, I think that for many years, until quite recently, many people, and of course, I know that this is a generalization and uh, an oversimplification, but many people in North America had no clue, you know, that Ukraine... Uh, is such an old country with old uh, with customs, traditions, with the rich history. Uh, but on the other hand, we have books like "Making Bows for Hitler" by Marcus Griffith, which was originally published in of uh, 2012, and uh, it has been one of the most popular books about the Second World War for middle uh, grade readers in North America. It. It's been a bestseller for years. So on the one hand, we have adults who know little about Ukraine as a country. And we have these kids, we have children who 
just know these things because they've already read all of these books by Marcia Skripek and many other authors. Yeah. So um, it depends. I believe that these books may not only uh, not only um, introduce young readers to Ukraine's history, but also help them understand Ukraine for what it is now. You know, so it's easy to, um, and, and it has been done um, a lot um, in North America. I, uh, I, I've noticed that it's really easy to uh, uh, dismiss Ukraine as a young country, um, as a country with no traditions, blah, blah, blah. We know that it's not true, but it, it's what has been done. What is still being done by certain um, individuals, by certain groups, unfortunately. Um, but a young person reading such books may understand that oh, there was a genocidal famine in Ukraine. Oh, Ukrainians were killed by the Nazis. They were killed by the Soviets. Uh, Ukrainians um, had to survive all of these atrocities, uh, and Ukrainian immigration to Canada. Um, started in the late 19th century so if ukrainian immigration from can if uh, ukrainian immigration to canada started at the um like more than 120 years or 30 years ago it means that in 1890s there must have been ukraine you know what i mean so because if not it makes no sense so at least ukrainian settlers came here in uh, 1896 from Ukraine and they identified as Ukrainians. It means that what Putin's been saying about Ukraine being a, an invention, uh, being a new country with no history, it's not true. And, and you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a very good point, in fact. It's a very yeah. good point, yeah. yes. Um, I'm wondering if any of uh, these novels that uh, you analyzed are translated into Ukrainian. Uh, or if they not, should they be translated? Because at this point, I'm thinking that uh, these novels can also be a, a way for Ukrainians to better even understand themselves through to, through this outside perspective. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for this question. Uh, yes, uh, Marcia Portuguese Perfect's Stolen Child, published in the U.S. as Stolen Girl, has just been published in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's been translated by Yulia uh, Dupka, uh, and I've already read the Ukrainian translation, and I can recommend it. It's uh, uh, it's it's really good, and it it uh, the book was originally published in 2010, and it is a novel about a um, young Ukrainian girl who comes to um, Canada after the Second World War, and she does not remember her childhood and um, I don't want to spoil it to any of the listeners but it, it's a story about a uh, uh, Laban-born girl so a girl who uh, who was stolen uh, from her Ukrainian family by the Nazis and she was brainwashed to believe that she was a Nazi but who was later um, who was later um she was later saved by her um, new Nazi family's uh, uh, slave worker, a Ukrainian Ausarbeiter. Um, and only in Canada, Nadia, the protagonist, um, she starts to get these flashbacks. Because until that moment, 
she repressed all of her memories, her memories of life in Ukraine, life as a Nazi girl, because she was four, four or five, you know. And uh, in the book, I, if I'm not mistaken, she's 12. Yeah. So she kept on repressing her um, her memories because she stayed um, at uh, a DP camp for a few years with Borussia. But so when she um, comes to Canada, she starts getting these flashbacks and she um, understands who she is. And I think that it's fantastic that this book uh, has just been published uh, in Ukrainian because unfortunately it's timely. And of course, I'm talking about these uh, all of these Ukrainian children who have been stolen by uh, by by Russians, who've been brainwashed, um, and who are still being brainwashed. Um, and unfortunately, it's 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 a very timely book, and I, I think that many Ukrainian uh, readers, and I'm talking about children, but not only children. May not be familiar with uh, with this program. May not be familiar with Leibniz uh, program. Um, many Ukrainian readers may not be familiar with Ausarbeiters, um, with um, uh, with uh, slave workers uh, who were Slavs. Um, so um, I know that um, uh, two other books, because Stolen Child is the first book in Marcia Skripik's uh, first Second World War trilogy. I know that the second one and the third. Book. I mean, the, the second book and the third book will also be translated um, and, and published in in um, in Ukraine, and I'm I'm thrilled because Scripps uh, books are historically accurate, but they're also well written and they're suitable for a young reader, really. Uh, so she introduces her readers to history without, um, and I'll use this word loosely without traumatizing the child, you know? So uh, she in, she introduces difficult, they use difficult topics, but uh, she leaves certain things unsaid, mm-hmm. yeah? which I think is important when it comes to children's books. Uh, unfortunately, Marcia's, uh, Marcia's Kripik's uh, two other books, which have been translated into Ukrainian, have, also, have only been published in Canada. Yes, so Enough, which is a picture book about the Voldemort, and uh, Silver Threats, which is a picture book about the First World War internment. So I, I do have these books in Ukrainian. Uh, the translation is also fantastic, but unfortunately, these two books were only published in, uh, in Canada. So I, I hope that they will eventually be published in, uh, in uh, Ukraine. I also hope that Skripek's latest book, Winter Coat, which is a middle grade novel about the Holdemore will be published because uh, this topic, um, unfortunately, um, is still not really present in Ukrainian children's young adult literature. And there are so many fantastic uh, Canadian uh, books about um, about this difficult history. And, uh, and, and as I've said, um, a great strength of these books is the fact that they're child appropriate. So the certain things are not there. So it's possible to introduce uh, a child to these books. Um, and there are many other books which I would love to be, um, I, I would love to see um, translated into Ukrainian. Um, and I also think that uh, books by authors who identify as Ukrainian Canadian, uh, books by authors whose parents, grandparents came from, uh, from, from Ukraine and really do identify as Ukrainian. And this is something that 
Lisa Greco, another fantastic um, uh, Ukrainian Canadian scholar and um, and, and writer, writes about in her book uh, Kaluna Saw that you don't even have to be you don't have to speak Ukrainian to feel Ukrainian. And I think that when it comes to third, fourth, fifth generation Ukrainian Canadians, some of these people who identify as Ukrainian, they don't even know the language. So it's fantastic that we have um, we have uh, all of these books available in English, which um, is connected to what I was about to say. I think that these books belong in one way or another to the um, Ukrainian literary discourse, this main literary discourse. It's also part of, I think that these books uh, are also part of Ukrainian culture. It's just diaspora literature. It's, uh, But it's still, I think, uh, a part of, um, of Ukrainian culture and, 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 and uh, tradition. So if I I, uh, I would love uh, to see all of these books uh, in the Ukrainian translation, especially uh, my biggest Stolen Child is one of my personal favorites, but I would also love uh, someone to uh, translate uh, Gloria Kopchenko Frolik's Anna Vorecha, which is a fantastic book. And unfortunately, um, the author died um, in the early uh, 1990s, and the book was published in 1992. Uh, it's uh, out of print, unfortunately. So I would love it to be reprinted in um, in, in English and also translated into, um, into Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for uh, covering that issue of potential traumatizing effects of uh, some of the uh, um, difficult uh, past episodes that these books um, include, because it's really important to know the history, right? To know what happened, but on the yes. other hand, to also learn how to appreciate the country and its culture and its history without seeing it as a permanent victim. Um, yes. And it's 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 really it's really um, it really asks for some mastery, I would say, to approach those uh, topics. So thank you, thank you for covering that um, that issue. Um, I, I wanted to ask if you could um, somehow um, summarize <laughs> um, what place Ukrainian theme, theme books have in a broader. Um, range of Canadian literature if it's some sort of a that uh, do Ukrainian theme um, books have their own niche so to speak without being exoticized for instance mm-hmm. but um, standing as something that is visible um, I would say yes uh, thank you uh, for another fantastic question um, in the in the introduction, I write about Ukrainian Canadians, and um, Ukrainian Canadians have always been a uh, an important minority in uh, in Canada, uh, which means that there is Ukrainian Canadian literature, not only children's literature, but also there's literature for adult uh, readers. There uh, are literary prizes. There is the Kobzar Award, which is uh, a uh, an award um, given to Ukrainian. Um, Canadian authors, um, and I think that when it comes to the when it comes to some of these books, I would I would I would say that there are two categories of Ukrainian Canadian books. So books which are just which are mainstream appropriate while being very Ukrainian, um, and there are so books like Scripics 
books uh, or um, or or um, some other books uh, which I also write in my um, about about which I write in my uh, in my book. Um, and there are books which are very ethnic, which um, portray Ukraine as this ethnic um, land, let's say, where people only um, sing and dance and eat vodka, and um, and it's not a very realistic depiction of Ukraine. And but most of these books are uh, issued by are either self-published or are issued by independent publishers and they're usually embraced by um by old maybe older uh, representatives of the diaspora uh, but they rarely make it to the mainstream uh, and that's just my observation um and there but there are books which um uh, are on the one hand, very Ukrainian, but they're also very Canadian. They're they have this mainstream potential, and I potential, and I think that these books are the most important ones because of the the, the number of the potential of their potential readers. You know, they're of great um, importance, great significance. When it comes to Ukrainian um, Canadian literature, uh, or um, for adults. Uh, uh, Jenny School Kiefer is a fantastic author of um, uh, who is Ukrainian Canadian. Uh, Lydia Kostash is another fantastic um, author journalist. So um, there are, there are <laughs> many. So I've just uh, I've just named um, two of my personal favorites. Um, yeah, so for sure. And 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 uh, I think that in the last few years there have been more. Um, the, the the interest in Ukraine has grown significantly when it comes to mainstream publishers. Um, um, there are also many American authors whose books uh, are available in Canada uh, who write about Ukraine and Ukrainian history, like Catherine Marsh, who's recently published the last year, um, is uh, a uh, middle grade book about the Voldemort. Uh, and she's a best-selling author. Uh, there's Amanda McCrina, uh, who's uh, who has written about uh, the Second World War, and um, and her two fantastic young adult books. I have them here because I'm currently working on an article about them. They're set in a view. So fantastic books. Um, when it comes to mainstream literature, there's. Uh, Erin Lidikin, who is um, American, but she's Ukrainian-American. Her first book was about the Holodomor. Her second book, uh, The Lost Daughters of Ukraine, is about the Second World War. And I I, I can especially um, recommend this one. It's fantastic. And and um, what I appreciate about Makrina and, um, and Lidikin is that they uh, write about the very difficult Polish-Ukrainian uh, relations during the Second World War in such a nuanced but also um, classy way um, and it's really difficult to write about um, history in which most participants do not fit to these narrowly defined categories of the victim and the perpetrator uh, where it's where people just want to survive yeah and and especially uh, it's difficult to do that in books which are directed um, 
directed at younger readers and these authors can do that. So they're Americans, but uh, their books are also available in Canada. So if I were to recommend uh, some uh, mainstream titles, I can for sure recommend them. Thank you. Thank you, Mateusz. And I hope uh, many of those books that you mentioned today will be translated into Ukrainian uh, too. Yes. Uh, has, um, I, I do believe that it's a very important uh, thing to have for um, international dialogues, for cultural dialogues as well. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today. And again, congratulations on this very important publication, which I, as I said, um, see as a major contribution not only to memory studies in terms of Ukraine, but in memory studies in terms of uh, international context as well. Uh, and um, uh, I do believe that the um, books that you uh, mentioned today really helped not only uh, learn about the country and its uh, people and its culture, but also uh, learn something about uh, ourselves and also construct our um, identity as well through these very intimate communication with books. Thank you so much, Mateusz. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I also, the last thing that I want to add is that I hope that the publishers of these books will also become interested in uh, English translations of Ukrainian books. That's something that I really hope to see more Ukrainian books available in English. Thank you. Thank you, Mateusz. Today I spoke with Mateusz Svetlitsky about his book Next Generation Memory and Ukrainian-Canadian Children's Historical Fiction, The Seeds of Memory, published by Routledge in 2023. Thank you for listening to New Books in Ukrainian Studies, the podcast channel on the New Books Network.